I got one other thing I want to I want to share on the announcements part of this was last week we had a chance to go out into the community. Is that what you want to share? Oh, she, Pastor Sherry wants to share this one. You go ahead. I was just gonna say, how many of, of you were at our park service last week? Mm -hmm. Yes, it was amazing. We had almost 200 people, uh, around 200 people that came out. Um, but one of the greatest things that happened was we had uh, 12 or 13 uh, people baptized in the lake. Mm -hmm. And I just, I want you guys to give it up for God mm -hmm. right now. That was, we talk about baptism being a public declaration of your faith. And there is nothing better than an actual public display of your faith, of mm -hmm. being baptized in public at a public lake, a public beach. And uh, it was amazing. We had a great time. Yep. Um, just families. Yeah, two salvations last two week. Two salvations. Yeah. And yeah, it was a great, mm -hmm. a great week at the park. So... Yeah, it's, it's, you know what, it's just great, you know, to be able to fulfill the Great Commission by, you know, going out into the world around us. Uh, you know, even next, next week is Father's Day, right? So, you know, you know, that's even a great time, you know, to have a chance to just invite people out to church and let them hear the good news message, you know, on, on Father's Day next week. I really believe this is just a great opportunity for us to be able to reach out into those around us and just be able to share the gospel. Amen? All right. Who's ready to hear the word of the Lord today? All right, we're going to be blessed today. We got pastors Brian and Pastor Karen Travail to be able to come on up here tonight and uh, or this morning and deliver the word of the Lord. We're really excited about them. Give them give them a warm welcome this morning. <laughs> he he he's already looking to speak into this evening, so he's he's going to try to do. Was it Peter? Was it Paul who preached uh, yeah. long enough that the yeah. gentleman fell out of the window and had to be raised and from the, the good dead? Thing is, there's no windows. So. <laughs> You're not on yet, but it's all yours. All right. Am I on now? There we go. Okay. Uh, good morning. I lost my train of thought there. Praise God. Um, we're just excited. I don't know about you guys, but I just feel there's a spirit in here. I feel there's an open heaven today. I really feel that one song was singing that heaven came down. I feel heaven has down here today. I, I don't know if I'm alone. Yep, Pastor Luke, know. you're with me. Yeah. All right. Uh, before I start, uh, I want to just, this works for Joel Osteen. I don't know if it'll be the same for me, but if you guys can humor me, it's okay. What do you do with two guys who are caught stealing a calendar? Or what did the legal authorities do with two guys caught stealing a calendar? You guys are stumped, aren't you? They got each, they each got six months, six months each. Yeah. Anyway, on with the message. I think it worked better for Joel Osteen. Um, our message this morning is titled The Accuser. But before we start, we want to give some credit to Pastor Rick uh, Shimatero. He provided us a lot of the resources. And I think we even got his book, The Accuser, by uh, David Alsobrook, which we took a lot of the text that we're going to be talking about today out of. So if you see Pastor Rick and this goes well, tell him, hey, thanks a lot. And if it doesn't go well, don't mention it. In the book of Revelations, chapter 12, verse 10, we see Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. In uh, the book of Job, we see that Satan stood before God and accused Job to God. In John 8:44, Jesus tells us, he, meaning Satan, he is a liar. He's a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand for truth because there is no truth in him. 
There is no truth in Satan according to what Jesus said. If Jesus said it, I'm taking it as pretty good authority. Is that okay, Pastor Dave? You're looking at me kind of stern. Okay, thank you. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. His own character and nature is to lie to us. That should be an indicator right there. Satan has deceived millions from believing in Jesus Christ. But more importantly, even of us that do believe in Jesus, the devil wants us to believe his lies. And he's got lots of them. His motive is to harm us and to undermine our faith. It's getting quiet in here. Satan lies to us in a number of areas. He lies about God. He lies about sin. He lies to us about us. And he's good at it. He wants to remind us of our failures and our sins. Anybody ever hear those? Well, come on up and we'll have a testimony. If you don't mind sharing your life. He wants to convince us that we're not worthy to be in the family of God. And he accuses us of our sins before God's and hope that we won't be able to receive the grace of God in our lives. If he can stop that, he can stop us. So Satan's three most common roles of attack are, number one, he's the tempter. Number two, he's the deceiver. And number three, the accuser. Today, today, God is parting your Red Sea. Whatever that is for you. You can see those high walls of water. God is parting your Red Sea and allowing you and your loved ones to walk through on dry ground. And remember this. I heard Pastor Brian Shimotero talk about this before. Not only is he parting his, your Red Sea, and allowing you to walk over on dry land, but those walls of water are going to come down on your enemies. Smack and drown your enemies. So those things that have been haunting you and tormenting you and chasing after you, God is going to drown them today in those waters of the Red Sea. So whatever your Red Sea is between you and the Lord, today is the day for your deliverance. Woohoo! Now that's something to get excited about. And we're going to be talking about the enemy today. We're going to be talking about Satan and, and the powers of darkness today. But we want to give you hope. When I was doing research on this, I was repenting constantly. And I'll explain some of the areas that I was repenting in when I get to, to it. Did anything have to do with your husband? No, 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 nothing to do with you. Actually, it was the opposite. So, number oh, one. It had to do with me and you? Or? It had to do with me listening okay. to the accuser. Ah. But wait a minute for that. Okay. So, the tempter. So, the three most common roles. Now, there's more roles, but we're gonna, we were talking about the three most common roles, as uh, Pastor Brian mentioned, tempter, deceiver, accuser. Now, the tempter, temptation is the first method, and it's usually the weakest, which means it's going to be the easiest to overcome. Jesus overcame the tempter with single quotations from the book of Deuteronomy, as revealed in Matthew 4, 3 and 4. So Jesus was in the wilderness, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So you know when you fast, you get hungry, right? But he was called by God, by the Spirit, to go into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And be tempted by Satan. And there's um, theological reasons, which I won't go into today. There's reasons why Jesus went. And he was sinless through all of that. But at the one point, he was hungry. And uh, the tempter, and the Bible uses the name the tempter. So the tempter came and said to him, if you, now going after his identity even, if you are the son of God, 
command that these stones become bread. But he answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now it took that stab of the spirit, that one stab of the sword, for Jesus to put down the tempter. And we can do that in our own life. Next, number two is the deceiver. This attack is a little more subtle than the tempter. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 14 and 15, it says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and his purpose is to really trick the individual, or us, into accepting the false as truth. If he can get us to buy into the lie, he can get us. He delights in distorting the word of God, and he, dis he, he delights in destroying us. See, he tempted Christ not to obey God's will in Matthew 4, and he answered the temptation, the second temptation, about throwing himself down. He quoted Psalms 91, but he misquoted it. And not only that, but Jesus just said, it is written. And what does the devil turn around and do? He requotes it to Jesus, saying, it's written that if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. You notice that he's got a little if in there? He's questioning Jesus' identity. Anybody ever been questioned as your identity as a Christian since they got saved? Did that happen before you got saved by any chance? Never. It's only after we got saved that he comes after to test our identity, to try to sow this deception that we are not saved. wonder why they call him the deceiver. That might be a reason. So Psalms 91 says that he will, for he will, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. See, Jesus was tempted directly by the devil. And while we will likely contend with some of his demons, most of us will never really have a direct confrontation with Satan. That's the reality. He's too busy. He's not omnipresent. Jesus and God are, but the devil is not. Again, he left out necessary words, in all thy ways. See, he used half-truths in with the truth of Scripture. And he used it in a way that actually he turned it right around on Jesus Jesus beat him on the first temptation, and he turned it around to try to be a little more deceptive. Jesus replied with scripture, but he applied it correctly. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he countered the lie with truth because he knew attempting to force or manipulate God the Father into such a demonstration would tempt God and would not be in God's will, but it's also forbidden by scripture, strictly forbidden forbidden by scripture so again he says it is written again jesus says you can talk all you want i'm going to stick with the written word of god amen now number three of the most common rules is what we're going to be talking about today the accuser how many are excited about that you guys look a little like you might not be excited we're going to expose him today Woohoo! are we ever the third and strongest form of attack is the accuser. The devil is a Greek word, diabolos, and means one who prosecutes as in a courtroom, a slanderer. 
Satan primarily means adversary and secondarily means accuser, one who resists. And often we become tools through whom the accuser can work. When Satan comes as the accuser, we sometimes fail to not only discern Satan's voice, we may even mistake it for the voice of God. At that point, now we're deceived. And we most likely are going to yield to temptation and pass carnal judgment on a fellow believer. Then we're snared by all three at that point, by the tempted, the deceiver, and the accuser. Now there's three main roles. I don't know if they got this on a PowerPoint. They do. The three, there are three ways the accuser operates. Here we go. Number one, overcoming Satan. We, this is what we need to do. Overcome Satan when he accuses others to me and me to others. Number two, overcome Satan when he accuses me to myself. Pastor Brian's going to be talking on that one, and it's really good. And then number three is overcoming Satan when he accuses me to God and God to me. Now, that one we'll probably save for another time. So number one, going back to overcoming Satan when he accuses others to me and me to others. As we saw in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, 10 and 11, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Remember, all authority is in Jesus Christ. And the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. The one who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. So we really need to learn to recognize Satan's activities when he accuses the brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when he accuses the brethren to us. And we have to learn how to overcome him when he uses our mouth to accuse others. And the greatest hindrance to unity in the church today is discord amongst the brethren. Now, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now there are six things, and then there's the seventh that says that is an abomination. It is in a place all its own that God really, really sees this one as an abomination. And that is sowing discord amongst the brethren. The accuser works to fill our minds with accusations about others. Eh? Eh? As you can see in the scripture, sowing discord is something God hates. We sometimes think these accusations are actually, oh, they're insights from God. <laughs> oh, so we have this thing, real gift of the Holy Spirit called the discerning of spirits. And this is serious. It is a gift. But then we have this other thing in the church that we like to say, the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment 
is usually suspicion. And we get these suspicions, and then the suspicions turn into gossip, which is another thing God hates. And the purpose of gossip is to put shame on another person. The purpose of gossip is to put shame on another person. So the enemy, what he wants to attempt to do is he wants to destroy families, destroy marriages, destroy churches, destroy reputations and friendships. That's his goal. And we, oh, oh, oh. And I mean, I'm repenting of this too. Like I was reading this over going, oh, wow, oh, wow. And even, you know, talking about other preachers, like you hear a, a preacher on TV or you, you know, or a preacher or, or another person and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know what I think about that. Well, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to share it with everyone else that's going to cause them poison. Right? Your opinions about another person, sometimes we need to take these to the Lord because he says to think the best of people and to see Jesus in people. And I actually began to actively practice seeing Jesus in people. So someone would come up and they're talking to me, right? And I chose as they're talking to just see Jesus. And there was a certain gentleman that Brian and I were talking to. And it was like, oh my goodness. I didn't agree with all his doctrine. It didn't matter. I saw Jesus in him. He would take people and walk with them for months to get them delivered. He had a strong, strong belief in, in the word and in deliverance. And I saw such love for Jesus and love for people in him. How can you go wrong with that? Right? But I could have went, I don't know about your doctrine there. You know, what he was believing. Now, we believe in, of course, the blood of Jesus, the virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm saying that born again. We have all that in common. Sometimes we have differences maybe with the rapture. Right? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, with the rapture. We don't argue about that. We look for Jesus in the person. We look for the good in a person. You know what it feels like to be criticized? Sometimes we perceive it and it's not really there. But sometimes people are just, they're just, they just want to condemn us. Right? And to be condemned is like extreme disapproval. It's either being sentenced to something like death or it's just someone that has extreme disapproval for you, and usually in public. You know what that feels like? Someone's around and you know they don't like you. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I don't think I'll be coming back talking to this person again, right? But we have an opportunity to make these things right. So we are to have a relationship with a person's heart, not with their behavior. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Um, talking about now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and then I'll do verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. Now these seditions are factions in the group or divisions in the church. And really this can only come about, this is a work of the flesh that can only come about in the church because the church has the spirit or you operate in the flesh. The world is just flesh. So when they're talking about these divisions, it's in the church. And it's amongst us believers. Right? That's a work of the flesh. 
um, trying the spirits. We're not to know people by their doctrine, but we're to know people in relationships. That's good. By their heart. Because anything other than that can nullify the work of grace. And grace is to have a relationship with another person's heart. And judgments, they're usually made out of fear. I'm talking about the kind of judgments where we want to condemn. They're made out of fear. And in judgment, we find a flaw in someone. So we can write them off. Then we don't need to be close to them. And they can't get close to us to see our flaws. And then we won't be hurt. And judgments, they cause heart wounds. Boy, do they ever. Because they judge a person's motives, their motives for their behavior. So now what we're doing, we're judging who they are as a person. How could we possibly know? Right? And um, there's a story that there was a, a preacher many years ago that I heard speaking. So this is Karen's, Karen's paraphrase of what he said. So there's a preacher, I'll call him Pastor Joe. And there was a birthday party. He had these twin brothers, and I'll call them rock and roll. So when it was rock and roll's birthday, twin brothers, their mother made them this beautiful apple upside down cake, cooked their favorite roast beef dinner, and wrapped, carefully wrapped these beautiful presents for the twins. And a little while later, it was Pastor Joe's birthday. Pastor Joe got a pair of blue jeans and a gift bag, a boxed pizza, and a store-bought cake. So he's like, hmm, look what my brother's got. My brother's had this amazing party. And I got pizza in a box. They got roast beef. And this hurt thoughts started going round and around, became offenses in his mind. Pastor. And then the wise man that he was, he says, you know what? I'm going to go ask my mom about this. So we went and asked her, but why was there such a difference between the gifts and the parties? She said, oh, the kind of week I had that week. I was planning a conference, plus I have a job, and I have some sick friends I was visiting in the hospital. The best thing I could do that day was to pick up a pizza and a cake and a present that day. That's the best I could do because I was so busy. And then he was like, oh, okay. But he had judged her, put a judgment on her. She was an unfit mother. She loved the others more than her. And she was like a horrible woman. That's a judgment. Now, when we come before the Lord to forgive someone, we have to forgive them for these judgments. We call a person a jerk. Oh, that person's such a jerk, and they owe me money. So now there's a debt. So when we go before the Lord... I only do it when I'm driving. I only do it when I'm driving. I don't do it any other time. <laughs> but we really, we have to release our, our condemnation. We have to release our, our judgments on people, right? When we forgive, we have to release, okay, Lord, I, I want to see them as you see them, not as a jerk, right? And the debt, well, they owe me money, or they owe me a nice birthday present, or they owe me a birthday party. I'm going to release that debt to you. And then the vows, well, you know, I'll, I'll never trust that person again. And all these false beliefs and all these vows that are created from one incident, we have to release it all now to the Lord. And that is freedom. That is freedom. Now, Romans 14, 13. Really simple principle to follow. Let's, therefore, let's not judge one another anymore. Pretty simple principle to follow. We need to help each other to get there. 
And it takes walking in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And again, to condemn means complete disapproval. Um, Mark 7, 20 to 23. And he said, what comes out of a man defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye. So my last comment is about the evil eye. The evil eye is to look at a person and immediately think evil. We, we're looking at them to find something wrong with them, right? We want to find something that we can push them away and we don't have to be close to them. This is suspicious and it's um, really contagious and really, um, it's very harmful to do. So when Satan comes with, look at that brother and look at that sister, we just need to say, they accept the blood of Jesus and they are righteous because of the blood. Right? They accept Jesus and they're righteous because of the blood, just like we are. And when someone's reaching out for help and they want help, let's not condemn them. Get them the help that they need. Because you cannot heal a demon and you cannot cast out a broken heart. We need each other. Number two is overcoming Satan when he accuses me to myself. Anybody ever have that? Before we uh, look, at, look at your neighbor right now and say, I see the light of Jesus shining in you. It's getting too serious in here. I got to lighten things up. I see the light of Jesus shining in both of you. All right. Some of the lies that Satan loves to tell us, you are to blame. Shame on you. Anybody ever hear that? It's your fault. Satan loves to try and steal our hope. He does that by accusing us. And he'll use anything and any means at his disposal. Any weakness, any struggle that we're having, it'll be in our face. But more importantly, it'll be in our ear as he tries to whisper to us that we are defective. Let me tell you something. You're God's creation. You're God's child. And there's absolutely nothing defective in any of you here. Because Romans 5.8 says that he died for us while we were yet still sinners. It didn't mean you had to get saved. It didn't mean that you had to prove yourself to Jesus. He loves us no matter where we're at, what we're doing. Doesn't maybe approve of our behavior, but he still loves us because Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So as much as behavior may not be desirable, God is working in us. But for every lie, okay, so he does this again by whispering in our ear. There's accusations and temptations. Get behind me, Satan. Oh, he is. I thought I had to say that earlier. Some of the most common lies that he will use is you are worse than anybody on this planet. You are the worst of the worst. Anybody ever hear that one? Well, Romans, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says that we should be ashamed because godly sorrow produces repentance. Without repentance... We will never achieve grace or we will never receive the grace of God. So if we're feeling bad, repentance is the answer, not running from God, but running to God. The truth is, if you didn't hate what you were doing, what would ever motivate you to change what you're doing? There wouldn't be anything, would there? Because Paul actually said that in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't really understand myself. He says, for what I want to do I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. 
So Paul hated what he was doing, and yet he was still doing it. Is it reasonable to assume that we as normal Christians are going to have the same struggle? Then why do we get so down on ourselves? Why do we believe that we're the worst of the worst? Because we're listening, we're listening to the voice of the accuser. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says that no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. If you're being tempted, somebody's already been through it. It's common to man. Yet, we think that we're dirty or hopeless. We feel like, you know, there's just an ugly nature inside of us. And there may be. But it's still no temptation that man hasn't been through. So it doesn't mean that you're not going to be perfect today. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect today. But what it means is the righteous man may get knocked down seven times, but he doesn't quit. He gets back up. And Pastor, Pastor Sherry was talking about some overcomers and some victors and some people that are not going to stay down, but are going to get back up. Because when we don't get back up, that's when we're playing into the accuser's hand because he wants us to lay down and give up. But there's no quitters in this room. Okay, I, I'll say it over here. There's no quitters in this room. I'll try it over here. There's no quitters in this room. That's pretty close. Let me just give you a little piece of advice here. Okay, can I do that? When Satan tries to discourage you by pointing a finger at the sins of your flesh, you can securely answer him back. You know how you can do that? Anybody know? There's, yeah, there's three at him. There's three pointing back at him. You just ask him, which one of these sins that you're accusing me of did Jesus not die for? Because the answer is none of them. Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. I heard that earlier today, too. I think Pastor Sherry mentioned that. She was preaching my message before I even got up here. The point is, we believe that this, this sin that we've committed is some great sin that we are just the worst of the worst and the, the ugliest of the ugliest and we're some heinous monster. And the truth is, Jesus died for that sin. Number three, you've fallen again. There's no hope for you. Proverbs 24, 16, a righteous man may fall seven times and he'll rise up again. And even as that man falls multiple times, he is still described as righteous. For a righteous man may fall seven times. Doesn't say some scumbag Christian that can't get it right, does it? It says a righteous man. I'm talking to somebody here today. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe I'm talking to myself. But have you never been in that position where you felt less than righteous? Have you felt less than connected to God? Because that's what when we miss the mark, it does it disconnects us from that grace of God, from the mercy of God, and from the love of God, because we don't feel lovable inside of us, because there's something going on inside of us. That's what Paul was talking about in, in uh, Romans 7, 15 to 23. He says, there's something at war inside my members. I want to do what is right, but I end up doing what I hate doing. Does anybody relate to that? Or am I the only one? All right, maybe we're having church today. Number four, you're too weak. You're not strong enough to overcome sin. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
My strength is made perfect in your weakness, in my weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong in him, of course. Should've gone, that should have went over a little bit better. See, somebody even said earlier that, I think it was Pastor Sherry again, she was preaching my message, I'm telling you. Be encouraged, because God commanded light to shine out of darkness. Right? So if there's something going on inside you that's at war inside you, the light of Jesus is the very thing that's going to evict it. The word of God is the very thing that's going to stop the lie, the enemy's whispering in your ear. See, your, home and your human limitations... They cannot limit you in a battle against sin when you pray to God for strength. Because his promise is he gives to all liberally, liberally without reproach, James 1.5. In Matthew 7, he says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Are we seeking? Are we, are we finding? Or are we still struggling? Because if we listen to that voice, we'll lose hope. We'll give up. Number five, you're still drawn to the world and by your lust. So you are obviously not a true Christian. Anybody ever hear that one? Yeah. This one is the accuser's trickiest of the lies. You see, when you gave your heart to Jesus, you declared that you're done with this world and done with sin. Yet here we are being tempted to all kinds of sin to look to ungodly people for ungodly answers. And obviously, he'll tell you, you're not a Christian, right? When you do that, you're not a Christian, right? Wrong. Remember that you have a flesh in which nothing good dwells, Romans 7, 18. Paul again. This Paul guy's got a, he's, he's up to something, I don't know. Again, this can sound dismal, but the fact is it's the opposite. It's a great comfort. So when you look at Romans 7, 15 to 25, you can see that Paul has something to say here. I love the scripture of Romans 7, 15, because, and, and to 25, because for me, it kind of puts life in perspective. His conclusion is, I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do. It's not me doing, it's sin in me. It's not the sin that I am, it's sin in me. That's got to come out. It's got to come out. I may feel like temptations continue to come at me and in my thought life, and, but again, it's not sin when Satan speaks into my ear, it's only sin when I listen to him. And if I continue to make poor choices, okay, it doesn't mean I won't make poor choices, but if I continue on making the same poor choices over and over, it's a pretty good indication something needs to change. It's a pretty good indication that Romans 7, 23 is at work here, 25, sorry, 23. In Romans 7, 23, he says, but there's another power within me that is war is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. There's a war going on. Who am I gonna call on to fight the battle? Am I gonna fight Satan on my own? How many of us have tried that? You see, the accuser, he'll use his anger to make you afraid. He'll use his anger to belittle you. He'll mock you of what you're doing. He'll accuse you of being too weak, too old, too young, too ignorant to do the will of God. 
He'll question if you can protect yourself. He'll question your depth of commitment. He'll suggest that you have made a rash decision that you cannot keep. He'll imply that it's too late to change because of your past experiences. There's no use. Give up. Give, give up hope. The accuser suggests that even if you start to rebuild your life, that it won't be good enough, long enough, or it's too late for you. The accuser will declare that you, have, you, that you will be overcome by the smallest enemy. The fact is, we have the biggest protector. His name is Jesus Christ. The accuser will state that the least pressure will cause you to fail again. He'll trip you up, knock you down, but we don't have to stay down. We may get knocked down, but the righteous man, he gets back up seven times. Jesus is our defense attorney. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to be a little more happier about that. Jesus is our defense attorney because the enemy comes to accuse and to prosecute and to just mock and to tear down everything that Jesus is doing. We have a defender. We have the ultimate defense attorney. His name is Jesus Christ. We have the ultimate defense attorney. His name is Jesus Christ. They're beating you guys, but I'm going to give you one more chance. We have the ultimate defender. His name is Jesus Christ. Oh, they got you this time. They got you this time. Oh, hallelujah. The good news is it will succeed for you. Now, that's not a lie from the accuser. It's the promise from God. It's the promise from God. Don't enter into a discussion with Jesus, when Satan when he comes to you. You, just, you can ask him a question. What's one of those sins did Jesus not die for again? His answer is going to be, I'm out of here. You're not going to convince him. He's already in his mindset. If he can battle with God and God never changed him, turfed him out of heaven, what's the point of us trying to battle with him? See, God's word is filled with the spirit of God. And before that spirit, Satan has to flee. He's no match for God, and he knows it. Jeremiah 29, 11, It's her favorite. You want to say it? <laughs> for I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, but to give you a future and a hope. You are here today, and I'm going to tell you, you have a future and a hope. Does it mean it's going to be perfect and sunshine and lollipops every day? I'm not up here telling you that. But I'm going to tell you, when you stand on the word of God, when you stand against the accuser, when you stand against the tempter, when you stand against the deceiver, and you believe the truth of God's word, your life will change dramatically. Your, your life will become more powerful. You'll become more powerful. And you will just give hell. Hell. Can I say that? I said a double hell. I just did. The next one, I'm going to wrap up here real quick because we have the band up here coming up. Lies that Satan wants us to believe about God. Number one lie, he doesn't want, God doesn't want to love you. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Lie number two, God will not be faithful to you. He won't keep his promises. Uh, Satan tells us that God won't meet our needs, but God won't work in our lives. God won't save our children, but God's promises are in his word. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He keeps it, it says, with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Do you know everybody in this room are affecting thousands of generations right here for, for in your family bloodlines by your ability, by your 
desire and by your heart's direction, you are affecting your family heritage for a thousand generations. God is not going to answer your prayers. <laughs> Satan will point out situation when it looks like God did not answer your prayers. He reminds us that people we prayed for who didn't make it or possibly passed away. He points out people that are prayed for to be saved that have not responded to the gospel. God has a will. They have a will and you have a will. And God won't force his will on any of us unless you will. No, you can't will. That's, that's the accuser. Anyways. I'm going to give you uh, five more things, and then we're going to close in prayer here. Is that okay? The do's and don't, don't, the do's and don'ts. I've been talking too fast, can you tell? The do's and don'ts of spiritual warfare. Don't feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to feel sorry for ourselves when things are going wrong. Very easy to feel that way. Job didn't understand everything he was going through, but Job understood that if he clung to the truth of Jesus, or the God at the time, and if he worshipped him, even when things were going wrong, it kept things in perspective. And the funny part is, as soon as Job started praying, things went from bad to worse. But yet he kept praying, and he kept believing in God. And many of us, when things start going bad, we start listening, and it's not the voice of God. And we're not reading the word of God, or listening to someone else's voice. Don't beat yourself up. Many times we'll tell ourselves what a terrible Christian I am. Satan accuses the saints. Just curious again, how many of you ever heard from Satan when you were not saved? Did he ever accuse you of bad, being a bad Christian when you were not saved? Imagine that. Romans, I'm sorry, yeah, Romans 8, 1 says, There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteous. If we're cleansed of all unrighteous, what would that result be? Now, any mathematicians in here today? If I'm cleansed of all unrighteousness, what does that make me? Righteous. Thank you. You guys picked up on that very quickly. Don't believe everything that people tell you. <laughs> Job's friends. End of story. We need seek people in our life, absolutely. People who will speak God's word to us. But we need those safe people to also have empathy, compassion, love, and to speak to us in love. Not to beat us with the word, but to minister to us in the word. There's a difference. Don't leave the church. We need each other. I need you. You need me. See, if you weren't here, I wouldn't be able to be up here speaking, so that's why I need you. We all need each other in relationships because if we don't have a face and a friendly face and a safe face to talk to, we'll never get out what we're really feeling inside. As we have conversations, what's in our heart comes out of our heart. Don't hide from God. It didn't work too well for Adam and Eve, did it? End of story. Satan really wants us to try and get up and get right on our own. Because if he can get us working on getting ourselves right on our own, he's got us. Because we can't do it. Do use scripture. Do renew your mind and fight lies with truth. And go to God as soon as possible. Don't wait till you get things right in your own mind. It's interesting because psychology today has estimated the average person, that's you and I, has 25,000 to 50,000 thoughts each day. 
Of those 25 to 50,000 thoughts per day, 70% are believed to be negative. So that means we have anywhere from 17,500 to 35,000 negative thoughts running through our brain each day. That's pretty wild, isn't it? You ever wonder why we think negatively at times? What are we listening to? What are we watching? Do spend more time with God when seasons of need are upon you. End of story. Resist, fight back when you are spiritually attacked. And put on your spiritual armor. Ephesians 6. So when you and I have disobeyed God, Satan moves in. He moves in for a finishing stroke because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. John's 10-10, first part. But Jesus came, we'd have more abundant life. Remember that. Because every time we only hear his accusation, if you look in the scripture, there's usually more truth to what he's saying because he's twisting scripture. <laughs> so you're Christians, he sneers. Well, you're not very good Christians. That, I think you guys are pretty weak at it. Go to church, read your Bible, even seek to serve the Lord. How subtle and merciless Satan really is, isn't he? He'll just hit us with every sucker shot he can. Jesus didn't go through the devil's temptation because he needed to be approved by anybody, by Satan or by us. He went through those temptations so he could relate to us. He took that upon, thank you. That's something to clap for. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't go through temptations in the wilderness to be approved. He did it so he could relate to us, to what we're going through. Amen. We have a savior that relates to us. Are we accessing him? Are we accessing his word? Okay, go for it. I just feel the Lord saying that there's some people that think it's too late. It's too late for me. Whether age, whether sickness, or you, you think that you might have missed it in ministry. I should have been doing this and I should have been doing that and I didn't. Well, God is saying, no, you're right where you are to be right now. And just to release all of the past mm -hmm. and let it go. Because he's looking, he's a God of the present, a God of the future, right? He's going to give you a hope and a future. You haven't missed it. Whose voice is it that says you missed it? The accuser. You guys are listening. See how smart you are? Would you stand with me, please? And we'll close this in prayer. We have the band ready. But... You can overcome the tempter, the deceiver, and the accuser. And, and I'd just like you to just say with all your heart right now, let God minister to your heart. Say with me, I'm not going to let the tempter overcome me. I'm not going to let the deceiver overcome me. And I'm not going to let the accuser overcome me. Lord, teach us to, come fault, uh, to overcome fault finding. Repeating hearsay, grudging and judging, we repent of those behaviors in our life. Help us to leave hearsay and gossip at your cross. And help us not to repeat stories of others, our brothers and sisters. Lord, teach us to overcome fault finding and repeating hearsay. 
Can we have the prayer teams up, please, as we're just going to believe that God's going to minister here today. All the prayer teams, all the prayer leaders, sorry. Lord, teach us to live Philippians 4, 8 in our daily lives. If you're not familiar, Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, you're to meditate on these things. Whatever things are true, help us to meditate. Repeat after me. Father, help us to meditate on whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, let us meditate on those things. As, as Pastor Karen was going up, I seen somebody who's been taunted at night in there and as, as they're laying in bed and they're seeing images replaying over and over and they're not good images. And I'm not asking you to put your hand up. I'm not asking you to come up. Uh, but I want to just say to you right now, you're seeing explicit images of a pornographic nature. And I just shatter the scatter, the, the assignment of the tempter, the deceiver over your brains right now. I come against every stored memory in the brain right now. I pray healing over each and every brain, each area of those thorny areas. If I'm speaking or if I spoke anything and you need prayer for anything, please come down here right now. I believe we are in an open heaven right now. I believe God wants to do something significant in each life here today. But are you gonna sit there? Are you gonna stand there? Are you gonna come up and allow God to activate the prayer of faith in your life today? Please come forward. Please come forward. God is doing something special here today. I, I really feel we've been carrying, Pastor Karen and I have been carrying a burden in our heart for those that have just been hounded and tormented and just been just repeatedly hearing and hearing sounds over and over and accusations in the mind. Father, I break the power of those accusations right now in the name of Jesus. I break those voices, Father God, and I release the spirit of truth over each and every one of those lies right now, Father God. I thank you for ministering to our hearts. You are Je Jehovah Mephalti. You are our deliverer, Father. I'm believing for deliverance today, Father. I'm praying that my brothers and sisters would join their faith with mine right now, Father God. That you would touch their hearts. That you would heal their hearts. You would heal their lives. You would heal their thinking. You would just heal everything the enemy has had a field day in their life with right now, Father God. We command him to take his voice away from the ears in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Okay. All right. It's 11.32. I'm in trouble in two minutes over. If you want prayer, please come up. Don't miss this opportunity. For those of you that don't want prayer, uh, you're dismissed. Father, we just thank you for all those that are here today. I thank you, Father, you're ministering to the heart, the will, and the emotions today. Father, I pray protection over them as they go about their way this week. And I pray, Father God, the word of God would be a hunger in their hearts as they go through their lives in the weeks and months to come. In Jesus' name, I pray. You are dismissed.
Hello and welcome to the After 9 Show. I'm Sarah Quinlan and we've got my buddy here, Pastor Dave Pisanese. And we were talking uh, just a few moments ago about things that Pastor Dave got out of the message today. So do you want to, what do you want to start with, Pastor Dave? You said you had, a, you had a word on conviction versus condemnation. Is that what you said? Well, that's the first thing, but I'll get to that do probably later on. Do you want to tell your on. story first? Would you like to tell your story first about what happened to you this week? Yeah, I would, I, would, I would like to talk about judging others. Okay. You know, a lot of the times we, we look at people and we judge them. Yeah. And sometimes we get the wrong opinions, you yeah. know, and we don't really realize that, you know, sometimes you look at somebody and say, well, that guy's a bum. Yeah. You know, that, that guy's a loser, you know, and so we feel that way. But anyways, the first time I ever got convicted about that i was in bethesda christian center okay in michigan okay and uh i was sitting for a pastor's breakfast and i was sitting up front on by the altar yeah. you know in the first row and yeah uh, pastor beale says turn around and shake hands with somebody you know and okay. get to know them you know okay and i wasn't comfortable doing that all right you know and there was a guy right beside me and i says I don't want to shake that guy's hand. I don't know who he is. You know, like, that's just the way I was at the time. I yeah. was a young Christian. I was insecure. I was kind of, you know, shy. So I finally get over there and say, I said, hi, how are you? My name's David Peace and Easy. He says, well, thank uh, David. He says, I'm Gary Smalley. Okay. I says, I says, Gary Smalley? He said, yeah, Gary Smalley's a, a, an author, a well-known author, and I'm looking at this guy like he's a loser, you know? So, anyways, the, the next thing is, I'm in, in the pastor's session after lunch, Yeah. and this lady comes up, and they bring her up in a wheelchair. And my thought was, what are you bringing her up here for? You know, she's a, and my mother-in-law was very sick at the time, you know, and she was in the hospital. I said, my mother-in-law is ready to die, and she looks better than her. But so she's not here. <laughs> yeah. That was the way I was thinking, you yeah. know. So anyways, uh, the next thing you know, I said, that lady don't belong here. The next thing you know, they're wheeling her up to the pulpit. And this lady gets, when she gets to the pulpit, she stands up and grabs the pulpit. And she starts preaching. I go, you gotta be kidding me. Who is this? It's, uh, you know, uh, a very, very famous preacher. I just forgot her. I just forgot her name. Uh, I remember. Is second. it is it like Catherine Coleman? Fuchsia Pickett. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it was Fuchsia Pickett. She was about 80 some years old. Wow. But she preached up a storm. Yeah. You know, and I'm going, my God, I can't judge people no more, you know? Yeah. But anyways, the thing that happened to me in the hospital, I'm in the emergency ward, you know, in the emergency part. Yeah. Because I had chest pains. Okay. And I'm watching, I'm the only guy, there's about six people in there. Yeah. The only guy in there watching TVs, basically me. And I was watching a basketball game. I'm not a sports guy. It was hunting and fishing to be different. <laughs> but anyways, this guy comes walking in and he looks like... Uh, he looks like someone from off the street. And he comes in there and he uh, he sits down, he's talking to the girl, the receptionist, and he's getting her to change the channels, you know? And I'm looking, I'm going, are you kidding me? You know? <laughs> and he says to her, put this channel on. And she says, okay, I don't think anybody's watching this. And so he puts the news on and I'm going, 
give me a break. Like, I really want to watch the news, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. My, my attitude wasn't very good. But anyways, I've never chewed anybody out about a situation like that ever in my life. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this guy, and I'm about to tell this guy where to go, you know? I'm about to give yeah. him a piece of my mind. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. Hey, don't you know there's other people in here? And the Holy Spirit says to me, David, just sit and relax. <laughs> and the next thing you know, the 700 Club comes on. And he says to me, he says, that's what I've been waiting for right there, the 700 Club. He says, I don't know if you know Pat Robertson, but he says, I love the guy. He says, he just passed away. And I'm going, you watch Pat Robertson? <laughs> he said, I watch it every day. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and he well, says, I just couldn't wait for it to come on. You know, yeah. I'm going, oh, my gosh. So our judgment of people. Yeah. You know, first time impressions. Sometimes we're so far out to lunch. Yeah. It's unreal. And the Holy Spirit has shown me more and more often. And if I forget it, he'll remind me, don't judge yeah. people. God yeah. loves them all. Yeah. He just, he, do, he does. He loves them all. And everybody's worth getting saved. You know, that's, yeah. that's what I, you know. I, I liked what Pastor Karen said too about judgment and how sometimes we put judgment on people because we don't want to get close. To people right that's another thing yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah i can i can be guilty of that where i'll be like oh i saw something in this person i didn't like <sighs> and instead of me growing and becoming a different person that can be friends with a myriad of people i shut myself off to opportunities because of fear of vulnerability or you know perception whatever yeah, right absolutely absolutely so yeah you're absolutely correct judge yeah. not lest you be judged yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> it, that was great. Are you, are you, were you done? No. Uh, yeah, I'm done. Oh, Do okay. you have something else to say? Well, I, yeah, I was, I was going to say, you know, sometimes uh, it's hard for us to distinguish when the devil's accusing us. Yeah. Or we're, we're, we're you know, living in condemnation or conviction. Okay, that's good. You know, like the Holy Spirit wants to convict us from time to time yep. about areas of our life that need to be changed. You know, and, and so how do we distinguish between between the two? You know, and I found that, like, for example, if your wife is always getting on you about a certain thing and you say, get thee behind me, Satan, you know, I don't have to listen to that, you know, uh, that's, that's a devil for sure. Is that sure. what you say? <laughs> no, I, no, but, uh, I have thought it, you know? Yeah. And then so how can we tell when the, when the Lord's trying to change us? He'll get people that are close to you yeah. to tell you. Yeah. You know? That's good. And uh, you got a blind side. Yeah. And I got a blind side. We all got a blind side. We can't see. Yeah. And the Lord will use someone close to you, like your wife, who will tell you this is, tell you what's going on. And you can rebuke it all you want, yep. but it won't go away until you recognize, hey, right. I got to change in that area and make a change. So that's that's how I distinguish between one from the other. You know? yeah. I don't let the devil beat me up. I can tell you that right now because I know what the Bible says about me, yes. you know, about us. So don't let him beat you up, but understand there are times when God's trying to talk to you yeah. and trying to show you things in your life that need to change. Be open to that. Yeah, and, and when God delivers conviction correct me if i'm wrong it, it's always done with uh with love behind it yeah yes well like what do you yeah. think yeah oh yeah and he's always he's always showing you how to 
to change. Yes. He's not leaving you convicted with a downer, you know, in yes. your life where you feel like all bummed out because, you know, you're a loser. He always shows you, you know, the answer to what you need to do. And yes. it's very simple. Yes. You know what I said? That's good. That's another thought. That's good, Pastor Dave. Well, um, I think I, I have like a couple seconds maybe left. Um, I have a fun story that happened to me. Oh, tell me, tell me, tell me. So I have, a, I have a car that I love very much. It's probably one of my favorite thing that I have. And the other day I had uh, three lights come on my dash Ooh. randomly, you know? And so my dad was in town and he was like, okay, should be fine. We'll figure it out when I get back. We'll do this thing, blah, blah, blah. So he was thinking it was an electrical issue because it, something wasn't, it just wasn't clicking right. And anyway, um, that's what he told me and he said he's going to come back and fix it whatever but the other day they just shut off they turned off and so i'm driving my car and i look and i'm like wait my dash is completely free and clear like it looks like i've got a brand new vehicle but you know the thing i don't know where i'm getting at with this but i felt like it was important to share because um you know my my dad had this one thought about what could be wrong and all this stuff and um you know he i said well dad just because so the lights are gone does that mean that the problem is gone he goes not necessarily <laughs> you know so sometimes i think we have symptoms of things in our lives that we see and even maybe those things go away but there's still stuff that we've got to deal with internally right and so i think what we learned today was even like the the deceiver the tempter the accuser all of these things are happening but how are we dealing with things internally even if we just like see little symptoms that might come and go but internally are we preparing ourselves against the deceiver the tempter the accuser very good I don't know. Very good. Very good. Do you have any closing words before we say goodbye to these yeah, good people? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, always stuck in my mind is when the devil first of all tempted Jesus, yeah. he tempted him with his identity. Well, that's good. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Yeah. If you if. are the son of God. Yeah. Well, Jesus knew who he was. Yes, he did. But the devil will tempt you in your Christianity when you first get saved. He will tempt you with who you are as a Christian. Your new position as a as a Christian, he'll say, you're not saved. Yeah. Who do you think you are? You hypocrite. Yeah. You can't be saved. Don't tell me you're saved. All the stuff you've done, I know everything about you. You yeah. know, you're not saved. And so the bottom line is you have to fight and say, That's hey, right. I am what God says I am. Yeah. And there's one word that changed my life. What is it? Whosoever. Okay. Whosoever will come, let him come yes. to God. Yes. And, you know, so don't don't beat yourself up. Amen. Come to God just as you are. Amazing. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for joining us today. Um, well, we had a lot of words of knowledge come from this guy. He always has some heavy hitters. Um, but I just encourage you today in closing, read your Bible, know the word, pray, connect with the Holy Spirit, that yes. you might be ready and equipped yes. for everything that might yes. come at you. Amen? That's your best defense. Yes, it is. All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow at 7.30. Oh. Hey, save me a donut. 6.30. <laughs> yeah, save Pastor Dave a donut. We'll see you tomorrow at 6.30 at the Lighthouse on YouTube, Facebook, and Rumble. I hope you have the best day of your life. I'm Sarah, and that's Pastor Dave, and we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. <laughs>